Thanks very much to Mark for inviting me and the whole community. Sati Patana Jana Nibbana. Why waste time? So we've got three Pali words and a call to action. So to put them into context. Satipatthana refers to right mindfulness. Jhana refers to right samadhi. Nibbana is what we normally translate as enlightenment, or liberation, freedom from all conditioned phenomena. The why waste time is because we all have a very rare and precious opportunity here and we don't know how long it's going to last. It's called a human life and, and having the opportunity to have contact with the Buddhist teaching. So Satipatthana, Jhana, Nibbana, this is a, this is a handful to cover in one day. So obviously I can only give an a introduction. But I want to point out on how these work together in a unified path of practice. One of the foundations is that there's, there's two main paths that you can practice. Now, one is more of the path of insight, and the other is the path of concentration, and and the path of insight is, is generally considered uh, more direct. So when I first went to Thailand, I arrived in Thailand in my early 20s with a one-way ticket and just a day pack and a set of white clothes because that's what I heard they wore in meditation centers and monasteries. Uh, so I arrived late at night in Bangkok and then in the morning I, I walked through the city uh, with my white clothes looking like a good humor man uh, and arrived at my, the one address that I had which was uh, a big meditation monastery in Bangkok. And it just happened to be that uh, there was a monk uh, visiting from uh, uh, a monastery in the countryside, a Western monk, who normally taught uh, retreats. So uh, he saw my intention and invited me to go back to him, with him, to his monastery. So I did, and within 24 hours of arriving in Thailand, I had started a three-month intensive meditation retreat. Uh, meditating up to 15 hours a day. Now on that retreat, I was very impressed with the detail of instruction. And I learned a lot. And it was, it was so very, and, and focused it. Whether it be the body, feelings, the state of mind or the objects that are arising within the mind. And the eighth factor of the Noble Eightfold Path is in right samadhi, right concentration. And this is defined everywhere as the four jhanas. The jhanas are <coughs> deep states of inner peace, the perfection of meditative 
samadhi and concentration. In the commentarial Theravada tradition, it's very common to to think that there's there's two main paths that you can practice. Now, one is more of the path of insight, and the other is the path of concentration. And and the path of insight is is generally considered uh, more direct. So when I first went to Thailand, I arrived in Thailand in my early 20s with a one-way ticket and just a day pack and a set of white clothes because that's what I heard they wore in meditation centers and monasteries. So I arrived late at night in Bangkok and then in the morning I, I walked through the city uh, with my white clothes, looking like a good humor man, uh, and arrived at my, the one address that I had, which was uh, a big meditation monastery in Bangkok. And it just happened to be that uh, there was a monk uh, visiting from uh, uh, a monastery in the countryside, a Western monk, who normally taught uh, retreats. So. Uh, he saw my intention and invited me to go back to him, with him, to his monastery. So I did, and within 24 hours of arriving in Thailand, I had started a three-month intensive meditation retreat, uh, meditating up to 15 hours a day. Now, on that retreat, I was very impressed with the detail of instruction, and I learned a lot. And it was, it was a very, uh, well, at the time, I, w- I felt like this was the most difficult thing I've ever done. And the, the instructor was leading me through a very traditional, what they call it vipassana, of directing the mind through a path of meditation. And I remember one time where, after doing quite a bit of meditation, I described, um, say, I was feeling light and happy and concentrated, and, and he said, no, 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 don't do that. No, no. If you start going off on the path of concentration, then, well, yes, you'll develop a certain amount of happiness, but you'll always be just as, as stupid as you are right now. You'll never develop any real wisdom. What you really want to do is follow the path of insight. And this is going to lead you to, to wisdom and, and enlightenment. And if you practice hard, you can be enlightened by the end of the course. So I said, okay, well, that's what I want to do that. Um, I was somewhat disappointed at the end of three months <laughs> that I wasn't fully enlightened. But uh, that being aside, I was still very inspired to continue on practicing. And eventually I ordained in the Thai forest tradition. And then I found when I was uh, asking questions of 
meditation masters in that tradition, that they didn't make that distinction between uh, the path of insight and the path of calm or concentration. Uh, it was for them. It was a, a path that included both, and it, it, it was really only in theory that you could separate them out. In practice, they're very interrelated. And then later on, uh, I started getting more into the suttas and, and delving into uh, the the Pali Canon, especially once we started getting good translations coming out. Then it was very inviting to go back and, and uh, read these suttas, which just had a, a great feeling of uh, authenticity about them. And the more I read, the more it seemed like well, they're saying the same thing as, as these Thai meditation masters. And even theoretically, I couldn't really see that there was a basis for saying that there's two different paths. Even if you look at the, the Noble Eightfold Path, I mean, it includes, it includes both right mindfulness and right concentration. There's not sort of two eightfold paths with a fork at right effort. It's a, you know one one way you go off to right insight and and right mindfulness, and the other way you go off to right concentration. It's there's a definite you know, progression. And even though the noble eightfold path isn't something that we have to practice in terms of mastering one step and moving on to the other, still the Buddha, when he taught in lists, gave a particular progression to his list. Now, there's a reason why it starts off with right view. And it moves through intention into speech, action, livelihood. And then into the area of meditation, there's a gradual progression. Effort leading into the four foundations or four focuses of mindfulness. Right mindfulness. And how that leads into right samadhi, the development of, of, of these states of deep peace called jhanas, and how that leads into liberation, release, letting go. And as I got a broader reading of the scriptures, I began to recognize that well, the Buddha is talking about this progression in many, many different ways, from many different angles. But it all seems to incorporate both, both a sense of calm and insight in a balanced way. Now, the term vipassana refers to insight. The term Samadhi and Samatha are synonyms. So both Samadhi and Samatha refer to when the mind's attention starts to become focused, calm, a sense of calm, peace, tranquility, serenity. And insight is that clear seeing within that. So if the calm or the samadhi is to be on the Buddha's path, that it has to be 
very, it has to be imbued with the clear seeing. It is possible to have states of consciousness that are very calm, but there's a, but there's a lack of clear clarity there. It's like going into a deep sleep or a foggy state. So even though that's calm and peaceful, which is beneficial, it's not conducive to awakening. So right mindfulness and right concentration, when they're working together, then you start to develop a, a mind which is at once very peaceful and at the same time very agile. So the state of mind which is most conducive to awakening, deep insight, from whatever tradition that we're from, we're all aiming towards this state of mind which is free from the five hindrances, stable, peaceful, present, it's free from the, the obstacles of desire, craving arising from ill will, from sleepiness, from restlessness, from doubt. And in this state of mind, where the mind is, is absolutely uh, settled and established in the present moment with clear awareness, then we can start to investigate. We investigate our experience. And through our investigation, our contemplation of seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, and what's arising in the mind, then insight into that and letting go from the insight can take place. Now the hard part is maintaining that. Even getting to a, a, a few moments of where we have that, that clarity and peace and stability, where our minds are internally silent. That's already very powerful. But then being able to maintain that for long periods of time, why we have the opportunity then to, to contemplate and investigate, that takes a lot of strength of mind, a lot of power. And so that's another area that samadhi comes in. Samadhi can give that mind power, energy. It fuels the ability of the mind to investigate in the present moment. If we don't have the, mm, the stability to remain in the present, then mind's wandering here, wandering there. It's difficult to, to really focus on any one thing and understand it clearly. But when there is that, that focused awareness in the present moment that is both deeply peaceful and agile, then that's the state of mind that, that we're aiming towards. That's the state of mind which is going to be most conducive to developing deep insight. When they describe the jhanas, they talk about say, a mind state that is 
It's absolutely tranquil and peaceful, but at the same time, malleable. It's not hard and fixed. It's not a concentration that is it's like mm, the mind that's, that's contracted onto one point. It's a mind that's expanded to infinity, boundless, and workable. It's not hard and brittle. It's very workable. and It's wieldy, like you have a powerful sword and the strength and, and knowledge to use it. So you have this combination of purity and yet agility. So this is the, the direction that we're aiming for in terms of the causes and conditions which will lead to Nibbana or enlightenment. Ajahn Chah had a beautiful simile. It's called still flowing water. And he would say, we know what still water is like. If you go to a lake or a pond on a very uh, on a quiet day where there's no wind and the water's clear, you can see right to the bottom. This is a simile that the Buddha would use for the mind that's concentrated and pure. It's like going up into, into the mountains and finding uh, a pool of water that's collected, just melted from the snow or the glaciers, and you find this absolutely crystal clear, beautiful water, and no matter how deep it is, you can see right to the bottom. The state of a mind in samadhi is like that. So we know what still water is like, and we know what flowing water is like. Flowing water, if you go to a creek, Go to a river, you can see how the water moves. You can see how it passes by, it's moving. But what Ajahn Chah said is what we don't know is still flowing water. How the, the water or the mind can simultaneously be still and moving. Absolutely quiet and yet able to be agile in investigate, contemplate, understand, delve into the nature of things. So the relationship between insight, vipassana, uh, samadhi, focused concentration of mind, uh, the perfection of samadhi, jhanas, uh, right mindfulness, satipatthana, and where it's all leading, nibbana. This is what I like to focus on for this retreat. So this is just a brief introduction to that. We will continue on as the day proceeds. So at this time, and we can do some walking meditation. And uh, before we, we do the walking meditation, maybe I'll just give some brief instruction.
need to say anything about the schedule throughout the day and breaking up into groups? Yeah, there's a, I put the two groups out so people know that whether they're in either group A or B. If you did get a chance to check off your name when you came in and see what group you're in, but there will be two interview groups. Uh, so we have like 16 people in each group, and we'll meet in the kitchen. One will meet at 1.30, group A will meet at 1.30 to 2.10, uh, and then the next group will meet at 2.30 to 3.10, so group B, 30, uh, 2.30 to 3.10, and that will be in the kitchen. And just one practical thing about the walking. Um, so the last four people, if you could stack your cushions like on Doug's or Mary's cushion so that we can use the full perimeter, and these folks right here, uh, maybe not Diane, but John and Pisa, Robin and Craig could stack your cushions somewhere off to the side so that we can use the side too. So when one period of sitting ends, because of the nature of the body, we can't just sit. It's merely too painful. Even if we're experienced meditators, we can't just just sit. So we can make use of the other postures of the body as well. The most common one for meditation being walking meditation. You know, it's it's uh, difficult enough to uh, to learn how to meditate even when we're sitting still with our eyes closed. And then walking meditation is is taking it one step further into integration into life because uh, suddenly we've got our eyes open, we're moving, and because of that extra sensory stimulation, it's much easier for thinking to start coming into the mind. So again, when we, when we start doing walking meditation, it's uh, important to, to have that same intention that we did when we're sitting meditation say, okay, I'm doing meditation now. There's nothing I have to think about. Just be present. And when one period of sitting ends, and when the walking begins, in between there's this period of uh, adjustment of posture. So try to make that period of adjustment just as much a continuity of the of the mental states that we're developing as as if we were still sitting. So let's say the bell goes. We may just stretch our limbs a bit, very mindfully, and then make the intention to get up. Now, in order to get up in a very balanced graceful way, it takes a certain mindfulness of the body, which is the first foundation of mindfulness. Mindfulness immersed in the body, aware of sensations. It's very practical. When, when we stretch our legs, we're aware that we're stretching our legs. When we move our arms, we're aware that we're moving our arms. When we take the first step, we're aware of that. When our legs fall asleep, <laughs> we're, we're aware of the lack of sensation. <laughs> now, in doing walking meditation, uh, if you're doing it at home, for example, then uh, you have more room. Right now, we have a, 
shorter space, so we'll do it in a particular way. But normally what you do is you have a, a long straight path, and you start at one edge, and you just fold it in front, and then uh, and just, just start to walk. It doesn't have to be in a, a particularly strange way. We just want to learn how to, to make the average normal activity of walking into meditation. So one of the best ways to, to do walking meditation is to put the awareness into the bottom of the feet and be aware of the sensations of coming in contact with the ground. So especially if we're walking barefoot, either inside or outside, and you get a real clear sensation on the bottom of the feet. You don't have to walk either particularly quickly or particularly slowly, but depending on your mind state, that will tend to determine the speed. If you find that uh, your mind's very restless and agitated, then you can start off walking more quickly and then gradually slow down. That will help the mind walk down. Again, if you're walking alone, then anytime thinking comes up, you can just stop, reestablish mindfulness, and start again. However, if we're all walking in a line, this might cause a problem. So whenever thinking arises, whether it's sitting or walking, just notice, yes, it's thinking. That's fine. Come back to the breath. Come back to the sensations in the bottom of the feet. Come back to establishing mindfulness in the body. Anything that brings the mind into the present moment. And enjoy mindfulness of walking. Meditation is a, a very important posture, which uh, is good for bringing up energy. It's good for developing that that the bridge between calm sitting with our eyes closed and the activities of our normal life. So this is our first step bringing mindfulness into daily activities. And then in the monasteries, the next thing we do is bring into sweeping, breaking. And then and then you bring it into administration. <laughs> <laughs> Advanced practice. <laughs>
shall we all join each other in walking meditation? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.